his narration work is, I think, uh, very empathetic. And I don't know. Fuck you. Fuck you. I don't have to justify this. I'm not on trial here. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, it's a new day, it's a new era, it's a new whatever we want to call it. How are you doing? <laughs> uh, yes, Cassidy Robinson. Um, as of now, as of the time we are recording this, we are hours fresh into a new president. Yes. We're recording on the 20th, uh, January 20th, 2021. Today was the inauguration day. Um, The reason I brought this up at the top of the show today is a movie review podcast. We are going to be getting to Disney's Soul, uh, which was just uh, premiered on Disney Plus, their big uh, end of the year Pixar joint. And Mm -hmm. then at the end of the podcast, we are going to talk about last year's Underwater, which is like a sci-fi b-movie that came out earlier in the, in the season um but uh, the reason i brought all of this up is so specifically so we wouldn't talk about it um and i only have <laughs> what? i have Let's one talk re- about it so that we don't talk about right it. exactly getting it out of the way i specifically just want to request from hollywood um and any creatives out there no trump content minimum 10 years you know what? Minimum uh, 10 years. I mean, yes. I, I don't I want agree your TV that. shows. I don't want your screenplays. I don't want your alternate histories. I Any of it. I, I mean, here's the th- We were getting it while it was happening. That's what's weird. I know. There was but, that Brendan Gleeson thing, though. What was it called? Oh, I don't know. I, I Here's the thing. If it's about Trump, I <clears> mean, to now. report or something. It was really silly but there was the um there was like my cartoon president there was right. uh, uh uh anthony adamant Ad- i can't think of the name scaramucci but, um, no 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 and he's a comedian anthony atom adamaniac i'm butchering his name anyway he did the president show he was like trump right most people uh say he has like the best trump i would agree i know who you're character. talking about him and um adomian would do stuff a lot together yeah, yeah uh but but no i agree like i have no i had no interest in what was happening i have no interest now let it fucking go it's and what i'm gonna add a little cliff note to this mm-hmm. uh same goes for fucking pandemic material right i don't want your I love no st- interest i don't want your love story about the pandemic i don't want your um you know no one wants no. it. uh they're like uh, Ashley, my wife, she watches This Is Us, mm-hmm. and um, I, I, I don't really watch it, but like you know, sometimes I'm in the room while she's watching it, doing stuff or whatever, and like kind of tuning in and out. And there was like this weird jump between seasons uh, where you could tell like the last season absolutely nothing pandemic related, and then the next season they just were like shoehorning these weird pandemic things in, but. Oh, so they're supposedly, trying to keep it like, like up to date. Yeah, but supposedly it took place like hours later, so it was like 
the pandemic just happened within hours and now everybody's wearing masks. It was weird. It, and it didn't feel right. It was unnatural. Don't do it. Don't force it. Right. Uh, uh, and, um, no, and I'm not just saying this because I'm personally sick of living it 24 seven. Oh, I am. Which that is am. a big factor, but I'm also saying it because I think the last four years have been last five years. If you count just the election leading up to yeah, this era, I think that's fair. Um, I think it's fair. Has been so chaotic and traumatic and crazy that there's no way we can even really contextualize it yet. So whatever we're putting out there, I think we need need to at least be able to, like right now, I think we could start writing accurately about the Obama era. Yeah. Whereas, you know. Yeah, you need need distance from this kind of shit to really To make anything that's going to last or seem relevant. And of course, like, the conditions of our politics and society and whatever is going to inform the fiction that is made during it. But that's for critics to write about years later, not to start trying to do in a writer's room. Don't try to capitalize it. No. uh, Because, uh, yeah, no interest. I I did see one video about the pandemic. Plandemic, your favorite documentary? Fuck you. You're insane. Uh, no. Fuck all that shit. I, I hate that you make me say that. Uh, no, there was like a spoof video. It was a spoof of, um, it was a parody of 1917. Um, but it was called 2020 and it was really impressive. It was like a 20 minute long, like YouTube video. Okay. Um, and it was about them like going to the store to get toilet paper. Right. Um, but they, Shot it and like beat for beat played out mm. all of uh 1917. I give a little me... bit of leeway to things like YouTube viral video, even sure, yeah, comedy yeah. to a certain extent, not comedy fiction films series, but like you know, the world of comedy I think can like play around with with uh current events in a way that I just don't want to see your fucking Oscar bait about all of this shit because I oh promise you I'll throw up on it. No, I yes, I agree. Get it out of my face. Right. So there we go. That's our opinions on that. Happy inauguration. Let's go ahead and move on to the first segment, which has nothing to do with anything, really, um, other yeah. than the need you, to you fill time. You sprung this on me like an hour ago, and I was like, okay. I came up sure. with it an hour ago. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, we were talking on our Marco Polo chat uh, between me and your friend. You had just watched um, or rewatched. Uh, Gangs in New York, mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese's Gangs in New York. And, Part of January. And it led into a conversation, a short conversation about Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, like where he was at that time in his career, blah, blah, blah. So I thought it might be interesting to to bring back a segment we've done before, usually about a director. Um, mm-hmm. But we're going to do this specifically on an actor. We're going to talk about Leonardo DiCaprio's best, worst overrated and underrated performances. Now, I, I specified this in the tweet that I sent, or the uh, the text message I sent you, that you don't have to like the film as much as you like the performance and vice yeah. versa. So we're just judging these specifically on the performances, not necessarily the film. Yes. Because um, for lots of reasons, an actor can transcend 
or, you know, can transcend the film he's in or can um, underperform the film he's in, he or she. Yes. So, yeah. So I'll start here with, let's start with overrated. What is the most, in your opinion, overrated Leonardo DiCaprio performance? Okay, I think this is the easiest one of all these categories. I mean, I was... I thought they were all kind of hard, honestly. Because... and it, well, so, we, Maybe we'll get into this a little bit, but he he's, he's an actor who's had to overcome a lot of hype and uh, perception and things like yeah, that. And I yeah. think, honestly, on as far as his talent goes, I don't think he's ever really been... Awful, bad. as bad yeah. as he was once to believe to be when he was just seen as like a pretty boy. Ever, Teeny ever. bopper image that he right. had, like, you know, Romeo and Juliet and Titanic. He he was just sort of like, oh, he's a heartthrob or whatever. But even in those movies Teen where he's magazine. just sort of typecast, he's, yeah. he's really, you know, he turns in a solid performance. Right, right. Um, yeah. So for overrated, the one I went with was... Uh, the Revenant, and it's not because he's bad in it, but mm-hmm. it's because, you know, that's what he won t- his Oscar for, but it was definitely more of, like, a legacy award. Like, right. The, and it's not that he's bad in it, it's just that the role itself isn't that complex. The movie itself isn't, you know, it's it's not really a character piece. It's not really, like, uh, uh, an actorly movie. It's more like conceptual and more sort of, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, filmy. It's more technical than, than it is anything else. Exactly. I see uh, the Revenant as being a technical piece. Um, yeah. It's more about the cinema. The cinematography is the star of the movie, not Leonardo DiCaprio. Exactly, and and again, he's he's great in it. He did uh, he did do some you know insane. You know, like remote shooting stuff for it, but he eats deer guts like straight up. But the you know, <laughs> as far as like character performances goes, I, that's not going to be the, no. the first one that pops to mind. So the only reason I said it's overrated is because that's what he won his Oscar for. But of course, I think he has done better, uh, sort of introspective work and more. Just more interesting character pieces, so. I would agree. Yeah, that very well could have ended up on my list. I didn't put it there only because I thought you might, and I am kind of on the record as not caring much for The Revenant in general. Um, So I might actually have such a bias against it that I would wanted to try and think of something else. So here's a movie gotcha. we talked about recently. My most overrated Leonardo DiCaprio performance is Inception. Um, great movie. Really yeah. cool. Again, very technical. We just talked about it. So if you really want to know my full opinion about Inception, go back to our Christopher Nolan episode where we review Tenant and uh, we talk about it to some length. Um, overall, great movie. I get it. I don't think that Leonardo DiCaprio makes or breaks it, though. I don't. There's nothing yeah. about his portrayal of the character, and there's not a ton there on the page, to be fair. But there's not a lot about his character, specifically in regards to what emotional arc they try to put in there with, like, him and Marianne Cotillard and his wife and blah, blah, blah. 
the, I don't think that he necessarily elevates the movie at all. He's serv- he's serviceable. Yeah. But it could have really been anybody doing that. And I think specifically any... there's yeah. there's actors who can do more with less that would have maybe made that role more exciting. Um, I don't know about that. I I I think uh I think he does exactly what you need for that type of movie. He does exactly but, what he's asked to do. That's exactly. But, he but looks I good do in agree suit. with you that it's it's not like a particularly interesting character. I think it's kind of similar as The Revenant, mm-hmm. where it's like it's more about the concept. It's more about the piece as a whole than about his performance. So it's not really like. A chance for him to shine, but it really shouldn't be. Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, he's the lead. I just think about, you know, what would the film have been like if you had somebody a little bit more, I don't enigmatic, maybe? Because I never get that from Leonardo DiCaprio. He's In the movie, he's supposed to be withholding. He's supposed to be kind of distant, but he just kind of comes off as, as sort of boring as a character not the movie but as a character whereas if there was somebody who had more of kind of like a maybe somebody like a daniel craig or somebody like that who who can project more kind of mystery in just in who they are without Mm -hmm. having to you know have it on the page um or 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 if if him and the cillian murphy character had switched you know what i mean now they would have never done that because Cillian Murphy can't sell a movie like Leonardo DiCaprio can. Yeah. That was the whole point of him being in the movie. Or even like Christian Bale or something like that. I mean, I just think there would have been more interesting choices for that role. Um, but he does fine. He does fine. But I, I put that as overrated because I think a lot of people really love that movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a great movie, but I wouldn't think – I don't think it's great because of Leo. Right, exactly. When I think of his great performances, that one doesn't come to mind. Okay, let's go ahead and get to uh, underrated. What is your most underrated Leonardo DiCaprio performance? This is kind of an oddball. I'm I'm gonna throw you a curveball here Um, because it's it's not him as a character uh, so much as like a producer and a narrator. Um, Hmm. Because I think he is pretty consistent as far as as his actorly work goes. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm going to say underrated is the documentary he did in 2007 called The Eleventh Hour. And it's about uh, global warming. And it's about... um, It's meant as, you know, very, like, educational and very, like... Uh, a huge chunk of the movie is like, what are some practical solutions to get us out of this mess? And like, you know, at what point are we going to pass a point of no return? Which was like 2011, so we're thoroughly fucked. Um, uh, And I just think it's a really interesting documentary, and it didn't get talked about a whole lot because, you know, people are more interested in Leonardo DiCaprio as actor mm-hmm. um and so i think this is interesting because it is like a glance at leonardo dicaprio as activist okay but if we're talking about performances is there a he's performance the narrator there? is there a... he's the yes okay but what is it about his presence as a narrator that elevates the project 
I well, I think one thing is besides is, just getting more eyeballs on it. I think a big part of it is it's it's it is Leonardo DiCaprio narrating a fucking documentary like right that is, and you can tell it is something that he is very passionate about and very concerned about and and uh his narration work is I think uh very empathetic. And I don't know. Fuck you. Fuck you. I don't have to justify this. I'm not on trial here. Uh, I'm just, just saying, is this a performance? You know, and and I'm not saying you have to he, be pretending to perform, but. No, no, no. Yes, he is. I mean, he is in the movie. He is the narrator of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but it is, you know, it is a documentary about global warming. So right. it's not he's not playing a character in it. Right. I just wanted to throw you for a loop. Uh, and not pick something totally obvious. Okay. I think you might have cheated a little on that one, but okay. Well, here's the thing. I, I don't know that any of his movies are necessarily, like, underrated as, as far as him as a performer, because he's, he's a fucking global superstar. Like, any, right any movie he's in, I think, you know, there's no... There's not really many movies that I can think of where people are like, yeah, that movie would have been great if it wasn't for Leonardo DiCaprio stinking it up. Oh, well, there was a point in time when people said that. Um, people don't really sure. say that anymore, but I think, uh, I, yeah, there I was mean, a point in time where he had, there, especially after Titanic when he was so huge and he was largely seen as this just kind of like pretty boy heartthrob, like we were saying, it he clawed his way into prestige. Yes, and I, I think I think the real transition point there uh, was around the time of like Catch Me If You Can and The Aviator was like yeah when he's going from being like a typical leading man to uh, doing performances that are a little well The Aviator was definitely like going for prestige type of stuff, but that that was like. Kind of his transition from like the young heartthrob to, into something else, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, that actually goes right into mine for underrated. I put Catch Me If You Can. I not only do I think this is an underrated performance by Leonardo DiCaprio, I think this is a very underrated film by Steven Spielberg. I think it's one of his best, and people don't normally think about it because it's not as you know, it's not as big or as showy and concept driven. As a lot of Spielberg things. Um, and same with Leo as a performance. I mean, you know, in case people don't know, it's a little bit of an older film now. And I, I think especially people who are kind of more of the like Django era Leo, um, mm-hmm. like Inception on. If you haven't gone back and seen this one, you absolutely should. But he plays a a based on a true story or loosely based on a true story about a, a con man professional con who impersonates uh, all of these different professions and does so well enough that he's able to make quite a bit of money and keep the FBI uh, always searching for him. Um, And he's one step ahead of them. And it's a fun caper. It's a great character piece. And I think it's a really solid performance. Like he starts out in the film playing a high schooler Mm -hmm. convincingly because he was still just young enough to do that and of course he's baby faced it was before his face like got weird it got weird 
he just got older. He just finally grew into it. No, but it, it like it like kind of stretched out, <laughs> right? In that in that way that some people and not that he got fat, but it just like got it just like went yeah, work. he just put on some some baby weight or the opposite thereof. Um, so he starts out as that, and then you know kind of grows into an adult, and he does it all through performance, not through makeup yeah. or dumb things like that. And I think that it's kind of a a light film. There's a lot of levity to it. And I think that's actually where he shines. I think yeah. he's when a movie is trying too hard to be serious or when it's trying too hard to be important, he actually struggles. When a movie I, when it, when I, a movie kind of gives him a little back and forth between serious and levity and kind of lets put some air into the performance and gives him more, I think he's gives him more choices. I think yes. that he's um he can really find a great balance there. All my favorite Leo performances, if I'm thinking of them, have a good little bit of both. I agree. Because I, I think he is very charming and charismatic. Right. Uh, and, and I I think his... I do agree where, like, the movies that... The performances that stand out the least to me, or that are just generally my least favorite, are the ones where he's just supposed to be sort of intense and smoldering. Right. Right. Yeah, I, which is the Revenant, you know, like it's just sort mm-hmm. of grim and and sort of drudging. Uh, wh- but I mean, here's the thing: I agree with you, and this was my choice, but I knew it would be yours, which is why <laughs> I picked the Eleventh Hour. So fuck you. Okay. Well, yes, this is a terrific movie, and you get to see him do a lot of fun stuff in the movie because you're watching an actor play a con man being an actor. So there's yeah. there's almost sort of a metatextual element to it in that sense. Also, I don't want to discount his smolder. He does good smolder too. Yeah, I I, I mean I think he's a I think he's a, and I'm not saying this to disparage him at all. I wouldn't be doing this segment if I didn't like him. But um, I do think he's an actor who needs a solid collaboration with his director. Yeah, and I think that yeah. he sometimes his reputation depending on what the director thinks they're hiring him to do. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes his reputation as, like, you know, this the mysterious boy genius um, gets in the way of his full palette. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Sometimes I think he gets typecast, but is, like, the wrong type. Right. Uh, okay, so let's move on to what best or worst? Uh, let's start with worst and end on best. Worst was the hardest for me because I can't really think of anything that's like right. I again, I've never seen. I don't think he's like stinks anything up. Um, uh, I mean, you could say just like I mean, there's like a handful of movies he did that aren't great, but that they're, they're not yeah. necessarily his fault. Yeah, I I can't really. I have an answer for this, um, but it's it's a little unorthodox, I guess. Uh, maybe let me hear yours for worst. Okay. Um, I'm putting The Aviator. Okay. And I'm saying The Aviator because the movie is supposed to live and die on him. Mm-hmm. It is all about, it's a character piece. It is a character study. And I think his worst instincts are highlighted in that movie. Um, and him and Scorsese have made great movies together. Uh, the Aviators, for my money, is not one of them. I think it's kind of hokey. I think that 
Uh, and some of it is script issues. It's just kind of a biopic 101 sort of thing. Um, but I don't think he, when he, you know, he goes from young Howard Hughes, excited about the world, you know, crazy inventor mm-hmm. guy, to becoming the paranoid schizophrenic Howard Hughes who saves his pee in bottles. I don't think that that transition comes off like natural. There's a ton of like bad actorly tics that he develops to to show that stuff. Um, I just think the whole movie is really try hard and kind of. I, I don't think it's anywhere near Scorsese's best work. I don't think it's anywhere near Leo's best work. And I think they both think they're doing great work, and that mo- makes the the fail even harder for me. Fair enough. I haven't seen the aviator so i can't really with all that said it's very watchable but um (laughs) but yeah well i I mean that's that's the thing that more out of fascination than than for you know the success of the movie itself uh but i I think that's exactly what makes this hard is even leo at his worst has a certain level of charisma so i guess thinking about it uh if if we're judging just off the performance yeah uh, I'm going to say, and this might be slightly controversial, I'm going to say Titanic. Um, Ooh, okay. Just because that gives us absolutely no, like, it's it's just solely based off of, like, the romance and, and that sort of thing. And, and he's good at that, you know, he's fine. But it's just such a sort of, like, teen heartthrobby role that we don't really get to see anything that makes leo special in that movie so yeah i guess just that is it it's it's not that he's bad it's just kind of basic i guess it is basic i'll give you basic i don't think that that wouldn't have been one of mine because i think that's a movie where i think the movie was as big as it was in part because of him and yeah he was not like a huge star at that time like he was coming up but and his name was definitely getting put on the lists, but it wasn't really until Titanic that shot him over the moon. And I actually think that that movie, as you know, doughy and cheesy and as saccharine as it is, I think he's kind of leans into it. And again, I think it gives him enough levity. Um, and it, yeah, but but here's the thing: I'm basing this off, you know, I'm basing this off of introspection, not. Uh, you know, a review in 1997 when the movie came right. out. It's not the most uh, difficult character he's ever put together. Like, he does a slight yeah. southern accent. Other than that, like, it's just Leonardo DiCaprio being hella charming. But that's the thing, is I think that it's... When we talked about, um, you know, not too long ago, we talked about The Notebook. And I, I would mm. say the exact same thing about Ryan Gosling in that film. There's nothing about that performance that's, you know... Uh, extremely challenging or like uh uh yeah but that, that experimental mean, but, but that's my point like that's not even my top five favorite gosses no for sure but i think that that there's so there if it's not in my to... if it's not in my top five favorite gosses then it's got to be in the bottom gosses okay and that's the case for dicaprio like again i'm not saying he's bad in it it's just compared to what he does later in his career it's just like Okay, sure. You know, like it's it's nothing more complex than a Zac Efron could have done at the height of his powers, sure. and and you know he's kind of 
trying to to turn a little bit. But you know what I mean? Like it's just sort of heartthrobby and doughy and and whatever. It's there's it's, something to be said though. And I'm not saying you're wrong or, you know, this is a game, so it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> Fuck you. Um, there's something to be said, though, about movie star quality that's separate. That's true. That's separate from performance and it's separate from craft. Um, I think you can be and this is what I would say about Titanic in in that or about Leo in Titanic. It's not a it's not a performance. It's it's not like a fully realized character in the way that we yeah. see him do in other places, you know, to good and bad extents. But it is such a movie star moment. He just Absolutely. he just radiates in that movie. So does Kate Winslet. But but if we're comparing it to the other movies that Leo even did around the same time, uh like The Man in the Iron Mask and Romeo and Juliet, like I would and maybe it's just because I would probably prefer to rewatch those movies. I think that might be um, <laughs> that's probably it. Uh, okay, Romeo let's and Juliet move is on. great, though. Yeah, Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah, the only reason I, uh, I didn't list that one as anything is because I think it's pretty much universally loved, and the performance is so buried in Shakespearean dialogue, it's almost kind of hard to tell like what is or isn't working for him. Yeah, and, and I mean that is a, a whole other beast of its own but right. i mean i think similar similarly it it kind of um i mean man that career setup like uh romeo plus julia is like the setup and and, and then titanic fucking titanic yeah. is the slam dunk yeah it's, that was yeah it's a one-two shot of of movie star like formula right and a lot of people um, try to do the exact same thing all right so I did my worst. You did your worst. So this is the best. What do you have? Or I, I guess I, I could start since uh, okay, you just I th- did I yours. Think we actually might have the same answer for this. I don't but. know. Um, my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio performance, or what I have here is the best, is The Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. Um, I think this this does everything I love. For him to do, I think it captures the movie star thing, his natural charisma. That's a thing that sometimes people get just missed. They don't see like you don't need to dress it up all that much. Just let him be him. Um, mm-hmm. And but I think it gives him a lot of character. It gives him a ton of like choices to make. There's a ton of levity in the movie. It's super funny. But it, there's also he can you know turn on a dime and have these like really hard to watch scene like domestic abuse scenes and stuff like that. And he's believable in both. And I give this one a little bit of extra credit or it it takes it up another notch because it also taps into something else, which I don't think maybe Tarantino a little bit in Django, but the spoiled rich to the point of being creepy Mm -hmm. uh, element. I think by this point in Leo's career, He'd kind of been so isolated and bubbled from the real world, <laughs> and he doesn't do a lot of interviews, and he just – something about him kind of just seems enig- – like, not enigmatic in an interesting way necessarily, but just kind just, of like – Disconnected. Discon- yeah, disconnected, out of touch, and you hear these stories about, like, like him and uh, fucking Tobey Maguire and their, like, like sleazy Hollywood parties and stuff, um, and there's a part of you that – people who aren't in Hollywood, 
who might like react negatively to that. And it's almost like Scorsese was saying, tap into that. Make yeah. them make them hate you so much that they're jealous of you, but they also love you. And that's like like that's something that I, was a tool in his toolbox. I wasn't sure he had. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That I mean. So I mean, I agree with you completely. I think when it comes down to best Leo performances, I think there's there's three movies you're really talking about. Uh, I think Django's one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think he makes that movie in a lot of ways. Um, I think Wolf of Wall Street is also, I mean, for all the reasons you're saying, he's, I mean, that's the one he should have won his Oscar for. I agree. Uh, I think, I think his best though is probably his most recent. I think he's fucking great in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I almost put that too. Yeah. I think uh, he is going on a real hot streak right now. Uh, I mean, he's kind of always been on one, but right. uh, I just, I think that the the reason I like his performance in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is it's, it could just be parody. Like, it's almost to the point of parody, but because it's Leo, because he, I feel like he has this kind of attachment to it, uh, he, he keeps it from going there and it keeps it from uh uh he he makes it a fully realized character when i think on the page it probably doesn't read necessarily that way uh i think on the page it probably just sort of reads as uh you know aging actor sort of falling out of the system but i think leo maybe feels that a little bit uh and connects with it and and turns in a lot of nuance uh that is really fun and there i just think there's a lot of levels to that performance and there is i think him and brad pitt it's i think it's career best for both of them and when i saw it the first time uh and i need to watch it again i wasn't so hot on it as a movie um but as performances i was blown away i was like well holy shit like uh, both Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are just having a hell of a lot of fun, but also like churning out amazing performances in the process. Mm-hmm. And I would almost say like he does all the things that I said I love him for in Wolf of Wall Street, um, you know, being casual and charismatic and also uh, kind of tapping into that like sleazy movie star thing. Um, and then he also kind of is pathetic. Yeah, you sort of yeah. feel sorry for him, but also want to like shake him and tell him like get over yourself. No, absolutely. <laughs> his his uh, he's he, it's sort of a debasing I mean, performance that yes, he sort of yeah. embraces. It's it's exactly. He's not afraid to look uncool. Yeah, uh, or uns. It's it, that's what I mean when I say it's almost parody. Yeah, like it's it goes right up to that edge. But I think because he plays it from from such a grounded point, from such a, a, a mm-hmm. connectivity, it keeps it from feeling like it's just maudlin. It right. keeps it from it's feeling almost like, like it's he, just base. It's almost like he built uh, an effigy of his the perception of his movie star yeah. and set it on fire in front of everybody. 
Totally. And <laughs> and I think so for me, I I think it weirdly feels like his one of his most personal movies. For sure. And he's having a hell of a lot of fun doing it. Mm-hmm. And it gives so, him a ton to do. Because exactly. un- unlike Django even, um, and on the, unlike a lot of the movies he's usually being cast in, um, it just it has it just breeds. That movie just lets him have a thousand choices in every scene. Exactly. And there's a subtext that I think he provides as an actor mm-hmm. that again, I don't know if it was on the page or not. So I think I think that is sort of the culmination of everything mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio. And so for my money, I think it's it's his best to date. I agree. Uh, good choices all around. Except for that documentary. I don't know. That was kind of lame. Fuck you. <laughs> I've never seen go- it. I was going for something different. <laughs> Could have said Growing Pains. I would have allowed... That's it. why I said it was underrated. Okay, you want... Uh, <laughs> other underrated movie, I'm going to say The Man in the Iron Mask. Uh, you know, I haven't it- seen that movie since I literally put a VHS tape in a VHS player. So I, I cannot haven't. tell you... If that movie holds up at all. I just remember it came out. Uh, he does play twins. Not long after Titanic. It was it was during his pretty boy phase. Um, uh, it was around the same time as Titanic and Romeo plus Juliet. And I think uh, it, it obviously wasn't as huge of a success as either of those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember very much enjoying it. Yeah. I almost said The Beach for underrated, uh, but that's a situation where I think I like the movie more than the necessarily I like him. And it kind of I falls think, apart at the end. Um, that movie also, which I haven't seen, but uh, it also is one of those, like, it's sort of the kindling of his career. Well, that came like, that was literally the first movie he did after Titanic. Oh, okay. Um and it didn't oh, get the best okay. reviews at the time. I, I thought it came out way before. And I almost okay. put uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape under overrated um, for obvious reasons that I don't want to explicate on a podcast. That's fair. Um, but let's go ahead and we'll get into the reviews. Uh, let's start talking about Soul, Disney's Soul. Is it Disney or Pixar? I mean, they're Disney, Disney Pixar. Pixar. Um, yeah, but, you know, sometimes they're Disney, sometimes they're Pixar. I think this one is... It's Pixar. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's, like, the Moanas and the Frozens, and then there's also, like, and Soul the and... Inside, Inside Out and Out, Soul. Whatever, yeah. But, no, actually, this is the second Pixar that came out this year, because uh, Onward, it seems like it was 12 years ago, Holy came out shit. At, in the beginning of the Holy year. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. Uh that is insane to me that those these are the same year. Yeah, well, 2020. I keep saying this year. We are now in 2021. Yeah. Um, so, uh, fun fact. I think I mentioned this on the episode. We talked about it. But uh, Onward was the last movie I saw in theaters before everything went on lockdown. I think I me too. I later saw Tenet. But, um, but yeah, that's like the last movie I saw in theaters when the world was kind of normal. Yeah, same here. Uh, so Soul was supposed to come out in theaters, uh, it was supposed to be a Christmas release, but it ended up going direct to Disney Plus. Um, and it, this is, uh, Pete Doctor, who also did Up and Inside Out. Um, I think people kind of think of him as being, like, the really emotional guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. his movies tend to deal a lot with interiority. 
Well, um, I think, I, I mean, he's kind of the, uh, you know, he steps in for, what's his name, John Lasseter. Yeah, but even Lasseter, he's more just like the fun, bright, you know, the everyday adventures of childlike imagination. Whereas doctors specifically like, let's get super bummed out. Uh, okay, I guess. <laughs> or candy. I guess that's one way to look at this movie. <laughs> so, uh, so let's set it up. So, um... Soul is about a musician, Joe, played by Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. He is a, a teacher at an elementary school. Um, he's a part-time teacher, just getting an offer to become full-time. But he doesn't, he's hesitant to take it because it means giving up on his passion of being a career musician. Jazz, um, specifically, yeah. Yeah, a, a career jazz musician. He also gets... An audition to play with this famous club jazz musician. I can't remember her name. Um, he goes to the audition, nails it, is really excited, and then dies. <laughs> uh, he he falls down a manhole um, and and dies when he when he feels like his life is finally about to start. He's kind of, he's kind of going through a midlife crisis, and then it becomes an end life crisis. So it, the movie is about his soul um, trying to find a way to come back to the land of the living in time for him to get to this jazz performance uh, that he finally felt like he earned. Along the way, uh, he meets a wayward soul who cannot find their purpose, cannot find their spark specifically, which is the missing ingredient that a soul needs to... Go down to Earth. And this is uh, character number 22, played by Tina Fey. And together they go on adventures and, and uh, you know, find out the meaning of life. Right. Literally. <laughs> um, yeah. So, it's kind of interesting because I was seeing things. I don't like to see things, but you see things if you're online. And there was a lot of opinions about this movie when it first came out. I think the thing <laughs> that some people have an issue with with this movie, and there's a lot mm-hmm. to like about it, and I'll get into the, the reasons why I think this is a good film, but there sure is a lot of, like, shoots and ladders in the storytelling here. Yeah. And there's yeah the, the board game rules sometimes get in the way a little bit of the emotional story, especially when they get up into their depiction of, I guess we'll call it heaven. I don't know exactly what it is. There's something no, like I, almost I vaguely Scientology ish about, honestly, I think, about I think it, uh, it honestly, as I mean, if we're going theology, I think it feels closest to like the, the Mormon concept of, of, because you know, like the idea that all Pre-birth. of these souls exist yeah. before their birth and stuff. I mean, I was trying not to get too hung up on that because I don't think that's really what the movie's trying to say. No, 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 no. I was wondering at first. I was trying to piece it together, like the. No, I don't. I don't think I, this is heaven because there's the it, stairway that leads to the light. Like right, I think yeah. that is the afterlife. He's more in kind of a limbo. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. So it is. It is kind of more conceptual in general, and I think like it. You shouldn't get too caught up into. The, the quote-unquote theology, because it's pretty much just, it's it's a pastiche based upon what they want to do with the story. Um, exactly, yeah. 
but there is a lot of kind of goofy stuff and there's a lot of like especially once he gets uh once he dies or whatever and he meets I, this I wouldn't character. even say I don't even think don't even think of it as like an afterlife it's it's more of just like an other life it's just like the spirit world versus the real world because like or the tangible world because there are living characters that can tap into the spirit world and like right stuff like that so it, it's like kind of coexisting simultaneously it's not like a you can only get there when you die kind of rules right yeah it i mean and it's not the only thing that's ever done something to similar i mean you know one could say the same thing about like beetlejuice or whatever yeah i mean i i think any kind of like ghost movie kind of operates on a similar logic of like how does you know they're being alive or not alive work and yeah, and yeah. there's it, there, it's more of a parallel existence versus a post existence. Right. Yeah, I agree. So, but I will say that once once they're up there and he finds his character, there's a lot of exposition. Um, the whole second act is almost just chock a block with exposition, and I get it. It's a crazy, wacky situation. There's a lot to explain. Same could be said about Inside Out. Um, mm-hmm. I think Inside Out pulls it off a little better as far as integrating the exposition into the character stuff. And this is almost a fascinating, both movies really, um, are almost a fascinating study of like the difference between story and plot. In the case of Soul, it's a little clunkier. Um, specifically, there's a moment in the film when, and it ended up not being that big of a deal, but there's a moment in the film where something happens to these characters that uh, I got really mad. I got like, really? I almost got as mad as I was at Brave when people started turning into bears. Okay. I almost I, got. I think, I, I think we might have to put on like the spoiler warning because I got to know what it is. Well, I think, you know, there, there is a, there's an aspect of the film and it doesn't, take up the entire runtime, but it's a good chunk of the film that turns all of a sudden turns into a body swap comedy. And I just said, why? Oh God, why did you decide to do this? This is like that fucking, um, spy movie that came out with Will Smith, you know, the cartoon right when in the trailer, it's like, Oh, this is going to be really cool. And then all of a sudden he's a pigeon. I'm like, what? No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I'll, I'll to the movie's credit, to Pete Doctor and everybody else involves credit, they do make this conceit work a lot more than it should. I, I still think it's vaguely me. vaguely regrettable. Uh, overall, I like the movie, but I want to hear your thoughts a bit more, just on on everything. Uh, this one got to me. This one hit me hard, and maybe it's just because I'm at that age where I'm starting to think about. My uh, post-life existence. Yeah, hashtag scene. Uh, uh, I, I do agree with you that I think there's some... This is a little bit bumpier than something like Inside Out, yeah. which is, I think, a little bit cleaner. And both movies have a yeah. ton of shoots and ladders, but that one I didn't feel it as much. Yeah, this one is like... I, re- I was not so into it at the beginning. Um, and like when they're kind of going through the whole... Uh, soul training academy i'm like oh is that what this movie is and then okay he's going to help fight her find her spark and that's going to be the point and initially the conceit i was like 
Because I saw the trailers and I was like, oh, okay, this sounds cool. And then I was like, oh, this, I don't, it just felt like a lot was coming at me all at once. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was honestly somewhere around the body swap time (laughs) because I think it'll, I, I think initially I kind of agree with you, but I think it allowed the character some introspection in a way that was nice. Like he literally could see outside himself um oh i understand all of the story reasons why they did it and it justifies it to an extent i just thought really like (laughs) of all the ways we could (laughs) we could get to this point this is how you decide to do it i don't know that it it, the actual like mechanic of it i was like whatever it didn't i it didn't even blip on my radar but there's a sight gag element to it it's not just it's not just doing it for mechanical reasons. It's also supposed to be in and of itself a funny situation, and that's where I don't buy it. I just think it's it's an annoying situation that just so happens to be told well enough that it doesn't annoy me as much as it certainly could have. I guess I think you're being a little grumpy about it. Um, it it didn't it didn't even blip on my radar. It was just like oh, okay, this is where we are now. Um, it didn't excite me. It didn't upset me it did nothing for me one way or the other um but as the movie goes on and as we sort of get to what the actual emotional core of it i would say the whole kind of the second half of the movie just starts kind of hitting me harder and harder and harder and i was like yeah oh damn they Um, they punched the uh the pixar engine all the way up into the emotional overdrive as pixar likes to do I think it, if I'm if I'm being like totally honest, I think my biggest criticism is I think this movie finds almost has a hard time finding a line between being a kids movie and being the esoteric existential movie it kind of wants to be. Uh that's where it sort of rubbed me the weirdest was there are times when sort of the humor of the movie i was like i don't know that i needed this i i think i would have been fine with just this journey of of this guy going on this existential quest i don't know that i needed the sort of kid-friendly comedy elements of it um and so i think that's where to me the most jarring kind of juxtaposition is is this movie of this this guy dealing with this very existential life problem versus okay we also have to make this a kids movie and a family movie um so we're gonna cram some jokes in here and not all the jokes landed for me if that if that makes sense no i agree that's that's entirely my issue with the second act um is see it wasn't the body swap stuff though it was more like the the 22 is such a crazy soul right 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 and i have and i'm like she's Fine. I have a question. They I have are a, fine. I have a <laughs> I have a question about that that I want to get to, but I just want to say, for me, the body swap thing is endemic of that exact criticism that you're levying. Is that the movie grind the the gears grind a little bit between the ideas and the themes and the yeah. kid movie Pixar tropes because they're in all Pixar movies. There's a little bit of a formula. You can notice the we got to get back to Andy's house formula. You know, there's always that kind of ticking clock aspect of it um, that drives the tension of the story. 
Um, and that's fine. But the question that I had to ask that I don't have an answer for, but I would be interested to hear what you have to say. Okay. Does this movie need Tina Fey's character at all? I think I know what they're yes. getting at. I know what they're yes. getting at. I, but- I, I the, the ultimate answer is yes. It, the, I think the character is necessary because I I do think that uh, the character of Joe, who is a very I think a very interesting protagonist. I think he he does need this moment of like seeing him outside himself, and I think he literally does need to see someone living his best life um, and, and sort of like detaching from his obsession. So I do think that the character is necessary. Do I think that Tina Fey was the best choice and the depiction kind of the direction they went with that? Yeah. I don't know. I think she's very Dory. Yeah. I, I, and it, 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 it the, it, the, uh, it also just feels like I, I feel the like dynamic this, is very similar to Marlon and Dory. I love Tina Fey as a writer and as an actress, but I don't think she necessarily brings anything to this. There's like a one-off joke about, you know, uh, like a white liberal woman being like the most annoying voice she could think of. And I was like, okay, like that's the sole reason this is Tina Fey. And I was like, I don't, I, I guess I kind of would have liked, I, I don't know. I don't know that, she necessarily brought anything for me, but I do think the character is necessary. I do think you know it's it's the same as uh 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 Carl and the kid from Inside Out. Like yeah, he he needed that. It's a foil view. thing. Yeah, yeah. Like they again, there's there's a lot of Pixar tropes, and they they all pop up in this movie. And and I even think that you know they do so the satisfying Pixar conclusions with the character. Like, I yeah. think there's some good emotional storytelling with that character. I just, there is something a little off about 22. There, there is something a little bit like, I don't know that, that this was the best choice for that character. Um, Specifically I don't know. based on depiction and casting or as written. I think, I think more based off of casting, honestly, I, I just, I felt like Tina Fey was a little miscast. It just felt a little off. Like I think, I think either right. go with some uh, because, uh, I, and I guess we haven't we haven't talked about this really. But the the conceit behind her character is she's a soul. Like when you're a baby soul or whatever, a pre human, you are yeah. you're given these attributes or whatever, and then they decide to send you off to a body, and she's been stuck up there for. Uh, millennias because she well they they we don't know that uh, we don't we don't know their gender the yes. 22 yeah they can pick whatever voice they want in this case they chose the voice of, of tina, tina fey because they felt that it was the most annoying but i mean this soul hasn't even been born yet so uh right. you know we we can't really gender it anyway anyway so they decide that they're not going to uh they don't want to be alive they have no interest yeah. in being alive. They have no interest in living on Earth, which, like, totally don't blame you there. Um, totally solid reasoning. Uh, <laughs> so they do everything in their power to avoid being alive. And they, they've they been taught by all the greatest geniuses, both alive and dead, uh, to be able to find their purpose. And they never do because they drive them away. It's kind of like a problem child sort of, like, comedic thing. 
so that's that, that's my and the, and they both have their I, arcs I, in the film. He's supposed to find, you know, he's driven to do this one thing. He's you know totally narrow, like has a narrow point of view based upon his, what he feels is his purpose. And she's per- or they are purposeless. They don't feel like they yes. they belong anywhere or have any particular inclination towards anything. And that's what they learn from each other. I, th- I yeah, that's the story. The story and, and works. The plot I I, is kind of clunky and all over the place, and sometimes I, dumb. So my point is, I think I think that character would have worked had it they done a couple things differently. I think had they either gone sort of the very childlike route, mm-hmm. like you know, very much a problem child, or go the route of you know, like someone uh, uh, who sounds a little more, I, I, you know, like who sounds a little more uh, uh, down, a little more like uh, like just lower. You know what I mean? Like like I I don't want this. I don't have the energy for this. Like for back of a little word, better word, depressed. Like uh, uh, or draining. You know, like. Like, I think Rachel Dratch, for example, would have been able to do much more with the material um, just based off of her type. Like, her, you know, her archetypes right. of characters that are, are sort of more in her milieu. Whereas Tina Fey just is whatever. You know what we're I mean? Just basically, like, she's not bad. We're basically getting Diet Ellen DeGeneres. Like, it's, yeah. it's not, it's, it's fine. I don't think that it's a bad performance. It serves the film, but it. Uh, but I agree with you that we're not. There's not much about the character in its depiction that um, really pops off the screen, other than the dialogue, which is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and Jamie Foxx again, is I great. Don't, I I think he's good. I think he's fine. I think honestly, while I was watching this movie and I was trying to sort of place the other. Vo- the sort of supporting cast, mm-hmm. but but couldn't for a lot of them. I was like, I like this more. I like this more that I can't immediately recognize all of these actors. Yeah, uh, you know. So I uh, I think Jamie Fox is good. He's he you know he's emotive in all the right ways. Uh, but I don't think that it was necessarily something that any you know other capable voice actor couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think Tina Fey is she's not bad in the movie. I think she's just a little miscast. But but overall, I really liked this movie. I mean, we're getting really in the weeds on this. Yeah, we're picking it apart uh, for a movie that I basically uh, liked. Yeah, I mean, I think I do think the first half of it was a little difficult. It was a little hard for me to find my footing in this movie. But then once I did, I think the emotional storytelling. I mean, it. It hits all the right notes that I wanted it Well, that's to. what it, they're good at. And that's what Pete Doctor is good at. And I think if you look at all three of his major works, with Up, with Inside Out, and with this, um, all three sort of run into similar problems, where the plotting is overly complicated for what the story ultimately needs to do, and to greater or worse extent as far as those details go like you know some people get annoyed with the talking dogs from up um and think that the movie falls apart towards the second half i don't think so but well but i mean here the the problem with up is i i mean 
the rest of the movie can't live up to the first 15, you know, 10 minutes right. or it's whatever. A, it's an A plus short film with, with like a, a B plus movie attached to it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if, if we're talking movies as a whole, I think of the three, Inside Out is the most, works the most. Right. As the, it's the most complete. It is complicated and technical in, in its own way, but it's, um, for whatever reason, that didn't bother me as much. And it felt more like creative and playful than this movie, which felt like a writer's room trying to solve 150 uh, writers' problems. Um, and within that, they're still able to accomplish the emotional storytelling to the point that I genuinely felt a lot towards the end of the picture. So they yeah. earn it, um, but it's a bit of a workout getting there. Yeah, I I think my takeaway from this is I don't know that it's totally a kids movie, but I think that yeah, if you if you it is put enough. The time There's in, nothing about it that I think is so sophisticated that it's going to just be a it's going to fly over their heads. I mean, no, it's a little esoteric, but yeah, it's I just I don't know if it's as appealing as again either of those other two movies up or yeah. or Inside Out. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately, by the end of the movie, it's, you know, they they pull the Disney Pixar magic and, and you you feel all the things you're supposed to feel. And it is, oh, you know, I there uh-huh. there's one thing I wanted to mention in this film and I'm glad I fucking remembered it. This might be my favorite score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to date. Holy shit. When I saw the credits and I was like. What the fuck? Trent Reznor and I confronted that? Like, I had no idea, and that's why I, I agree with you. It was like, holy shit, like, yeah. this, the music in this movie is so good. Right, and it's kind uh, of weird, because you have this these two strands, right? Because there's all this, like, jazz stuff going on, um, mm-hmm. and that and then all the source music that's played throughout the film whenever they're doing, uh, doing the jazz, whenever they're jazzing. <laughs> um, and then you have the score, which is this like really synthy, uh, arpeggiated, kind, yeah, arpeggiated kind of dream poppy kind of score that sounds super modern and nothing like you know the brassy jazz that's happening and the very rest of the film. subdued and just yeah. Uh, and those two uh, yeah. things should not go together like they do, but they do. Uh, that's that's the other thing I, I so. Ultimately, my takeaway from this movie was there's some points of friction Mm -hmm. where, yeah, not everything works together cohesively. But when this movie pops, it pops like uh, the the way they sort of depict like uh, being in the zone and like, yeah, I liked all that that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. I was like, this is what. This is what I want from a, a Disney Pixar. Like, this is really creative. And it also like captures the essence of this feeling and yeah so ultimately i think this is well within the pixar disney pixar canon i wouldn't i would you know say this is probably mid-tier but it's i don't think it's weaker no Um, and and here's my thing it's like even though it doesn't succeed in all of its goals on a plot level um i would much rather see them take weird wild risks like this and fail then 
just keep pumping out Monsters, Inc. or Toy Story or Cars totally. sequels. Um, I like them being creative and trying new stuff. And I and this movie's kind of a shaggy dog because of it. But ultimately, I did come away liking it and appreciating it a lot. Um, and I'll also say, going back to that score, I think the movie, part of the reason the movie works as well as it does is because of the score. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I think it, uh, I think it does a lot of emotional lifting. Yeah, honestly. a lot. Uh, and, and as well as just everyone, they know what they're doing over there. But, um, yeah, so I'm giving the movie a B plus. And the only reason I'm beating up on it as hard as I am is because, you know, we're talking about an, an A student. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, honestly, B plus was the exact same grade I had for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, yeah, but I, yeah, I agree. I would rather see them do crazy esoteric stuff and try to fit the Pixar formula to that more than let's just work the formula with mm. Pat storytelling. You know what I think might be a controversial statement to people? I don't know. I don't know what the vibe is out there. What's the what's the world even outside of these four walls? I don't know anymore. But <laughs> I think it might be a controversial statement to say that uh, I think Onward is the better of the two. I think uh, they both hit me hard in weird ways <laughs> uh, uh, in my life. But I... It's less fussy. If I were to rewatch yeah. one, I would probably rewatch Onward. Yeah. I. You know what? I think I agree with you, actually. I think... Yeah. I I don't know what maybe we'll put a a Twitter poll on that or something just to yeah. gauge people's feelings on that because I really don't I, know I I think they both do really interesting stuff in very different ways oh, yeah uh, I think there's there's a lot of of stuff I like about Soul in that it is just about life mm. like you know it is just kind of it's starting from a cleaner canvas. Like there's not as there's not as many like immediate there's not many cultural reference points. Um yeah, whereas, yeah. you know, onward is all about like fantasy. Let's go ahead and move on. Um because <laughs> we could keep talking about soul forever. Yeah, that I think. could be a whole podcast yeah. episode. So but let's go ahead and talk about uh the streaming homework, which you assigned me. Uh this also came out earlier last year. Uh, underwater, and this stars I had a much bigger cast than I realized, but it stars Kristen Stewart, Vincent Cassell, T.J. Miller. Um, those are the major stars in the film. But basically, this takes place in the nearish future. Uh, there's a big oil drilling uh, station down at the bottom of the ocean, uh, deeper than we've ever gone before. Highly pressurized. Uh, stations that people are working on. And at the beginning of the film, uh, there's a big accident that causes the, the main station that everyone's working in to start collapsing in on itself. And they have to uh, leave and get to some nearby pods or stations where they can uh, return back to the surface of the ocean before the station they're in blows up or implodes or whatever. And, it's kind of a, a long trek. It's the bottom of the ocean. There's, it's almost no visibility, and uh, there may or may not be monsters. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is kind of like the wet for space 
genre, right? This is like Yeah. This is basically an outer space like alien knockoff, but as done under the ocean. And we've seen movies do that before Europa Report. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean they they're kinda they can yeah, be interchangeable. Um yeah. when I so when I saw the trailer for this, I immediately just sort of wrote it off as an alien knockoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I watched the movie, I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't that. Yeah, there's um, a little bit more to it than that. It's definitely... It's a creature It's a feature. creature feature, and it's taking a little bit from that formula of, you know, the team kind of getting picked off one by one. And, um, you know, certainly it has similar aesthetics. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's of that DNA, for sure. Yeah. Um, what I liked about this movie was sort of the immediacy of it. Um, I, I liked that it was more of a disaster movie at first, um, and that we didn't really realize that the, you know, the creatures were sort of the source of the disaster. There's, uh, uh, but the pace of it is very different than an alien where, you know, alien takes place over weeks or, or however long, uh, Days, I don't know. I don't know how long. Like uh, three or four days or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, uh, about a week. Yeah. Um, This is like very immediate. This is hours. This is, uh, Mm. you know, like we got to get there now or we're all going to die. There's a ticking clock from the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And the pacing doesn't. I mean, this is uh, uh, and, you know, the runtime of the movie. It's a pretty lean, mean movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I appreciated that about it. Um. I, I, I think my biggest criticism of this movie is honestly because of the setting and because of the way certain things are, some of the action is really confusing. Um, and so that was a little frustrating to me because I ended up liking the conceit of it a lot more than I, I even really expected going into it. Um, but because they kind of do the shaky cam stuff and... Uh, the, you know, they're sort of in these underwater spacesuits that all sort of look the same and are indistinguishable. And, you know, because it's so paced the way it is, we don't really have a concept of where they're trying to go to. Yeah, we there's just... one scene at the beginning of the movie where somebody pulls a, ma- a map out and says, we're going to yeah. walk from here to here. And that's supposed to pretty much give us all we need to know from that point. We don't really have to know what direction they're going in. We just know they have to get from there to there. Exactly. Uh, uh, but again, there's moments where the action is a little jarring. And it's like, oh, fuck, who who was that that, oh, that no. even there's happened There's moments to? that are entirely visually um, inaccessible. Exactly. Uh, which, indecipherable. Which is frustrating to me because... Otherwise, I basically liked this movie. I, I thought it was a, a pretty decent... Uh, you know, sort of afternoon horror. Um, but yeah, there's there's just these moments where I'm like, I wish I knew what was going on. <laughs> to me, there's too many of those moments. Um, I, I agree with you. It, it's it's a it's a perfectly serviceable B film. You know, no frills. It's just a you know a small crew trying. It's a survival thing. Maybe a little video gamey at times. And it's plotting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, and and graphically, like, some some of the monsters look kind of video gamey. Right. The the design. Not necessarily the CG, which I think was fine for the for the budget. But, yeah, but yeah the design 
definitely looks a little bit like kind of geeky, but it's a geeky film. Um, totally. And and I think that's where I actually think that's kind of it's charm where this movie yeah. shines is yeah, yeah it embraces that and it's it's like, coming from that tradition of you know that comes from Alien but also goes through something like a Pitch Black, yeah. um and that and that's all great. What's not great is I can't see what the fuck's going on for about forty minutes of the runtime. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. and the, I, there's t- a couple reasons for this. For one, they're trying to be overly mysterious about hiding the features of the monster. We don't get a good look at it. And I get it. It's like mysterious. It's supposed to be creepy, whatever. But at a point, you're just shaking the camera at literally nothing and telling me to be scared. And I can't do that for 12 scenes in a row. And then on top of that, the way that the director decides to convey claustrophobia is he's constantly pointing the camera back at the characters. And mm-hmm. there's a ton of close-ups. And they're, they're well, always it's, it's either, crowded in the frame. It's either close-ups or uh, uh, point of view. There's some like point of view shots that are like, there's not that, nothing there's for, a, for the type of movie it is, there's not as many POV shots as you would think, or as there should be. And a lot of times when I'm thinking, like, I really wish you were showing me something. Instead, yes. it's just the frame crowded with three characters in spacesuits screaming. And it's like, turn the camera around. <laughs> like, I kept saying that in my head. It was like, God damn it, turn the camera around. I don't want to see three people crowded in a frame when you have this whole, you know, world you've built underneath the water. Which is pretty interesting and pretty cool. Like, no, I agree with you entirely. Like, conceptually, I was into this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think it's paced and edited well. I think it it's written fine. Um, you know, it's serviceable. But yeah, I the uh, the way it's shot is really frustrating at times. Yeah. And I get that there's probably. They're trying Probably to hide the budget in certain regards, yeah. and they're trying to like hide the seams, and that's one of the ways they get around it. And on top of it, there's some style stuff. Like I said, he's trying to convey um, claustrophobia, but at, at a point, it just becomes an ugly movie, and it's just not – and it's visually incomprehensible, yeah. and it's it's that way for too long, too long of chunks to be enjoyable. Um, so overall – I I don't mind the cheap thrills or the, the campy B-movie aspect of it. Like, that's fine. I just got a DVD copy, a brand new DVD copy of Tremors today. It's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think that's a... I mean, yeah, you can't really compare those, though. I mean, Tremors is a horror comedy right, with stylistically different beats. What I'm just, What I'm saying is I don't care that it's, that the, that it's uh, you know, geek fair. Or that it's just a creature yeah. feature. That's not the problem with the movie. It doesn't need to take itself any more seriously than it does. Um, but it's uh, not directed that well. This reminds me a lot of like the like cheap sci-fi I used to rent all the time from the video stores um, back when I was like doing more like uh, weekly regular reviews of both new and old movies. And I would see a ton of this kind of stuff mm. like in time or daybreakers. Or you know you know what I mean just or 
Yeah. Like all this kind of cheap sci-fi knockoff stuff. Um, and there's something kind of like charming about those movies. And I, I have a soft, soft place in my heart for them. But like, you know, they're all kind of bad for a reason. I think, I think this one is a little frustrating because I, I think the bones of this house are good. It just mm-hmm. needed a, a remodel. Like, I, I think, again, I was expecting it to be a lot kind of dumber. I mean, it's pretty dumb, but <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, I was I was expecting it to just be an alien knockoff in water. Yeah. Um, but instead, I, I think, you know, they do some really interesting stuff with making it more of a disaster piece for most of it. Yeah. Um, uh, I think... You know, and the ending is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, when they they blew their entire uh, budget on the ending, um, but it's but but it's worth it. Yeah. It's like I was like, oh, here we fucking go. Here here's the payoff. So for me, I think it's just like kind of that middle chunk you're talking about. Which you're right, it goes on way too long for it to ultimately be justifiable. Um, but I I think there's. I'm going to put this movie on the verge of almost good. Uh, like, yeah. like, it was almost there if it had just been shot a little bit better. I think it, this I could have been a pleasant surprise. And it kind of was mm-hmm. um, in that it wasn't straight up bad. Um, but, yeah, I, I just wanted it to be, like, a little more, like, give me a little bit more. Give me something here. Right. Just, there's... There's just too many scenes in a row where visually it's, just it's the exact characters same. screaming in the dark with flashlights. Yeah, and it's something kind of murky and muddy happening in the background that you could barely see, and you can yeah. only pull off that that level of mystery for so long before it just comes off as lazy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't think that I I I see the merit in something like this. It's the exact kind of like B movie I usually enjoy. Yeah. But I I also see like where other films kind of did this better. Oh, totally. Like, I mean, a movie like Near or not Near Dark. Well, that movie too. But a movie like uh, Pitch Black, um, mm-hmm. I think it pulls this kind of thing off a lot better. Oh yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, a movie like The Descent pulls this kind of thing off a whole lot better. I mean, I, I actually I did get some Descent vibes at a point mm-hmm. in time too, and I was like. There was a point when I literally thought, I kind of just wish I was watching this. Exactly. Descent. Or a movie Until like... Until the very end when I was like, oh, okay, they they had something different mm-hmm. they wanted to do. I wish that maybe they had spent a little more time there, but I, I agree. I think it was like, yeah. we don't have the budget to do this for too long. Right, exactly. Or a movie like Cloverfield, and I'm not just saying that because of the T.J. Miller thing. No, the, it, it has Cloverfield DNA. Uh, yeah. I think the monster design kind of looks similar, and I think um, the disaster think, survival aspect of it. Yeah, the, totally. We got a group together, and kind of we don't know what we're where we're going and what we're doing. Yeah, so I mean, that's a thing. Is I just always con- it constantly at its best, it brings me back to movies that do this better. Um, but as as it stands, it's fine. It's okay. I. Yeah, I agree. I I think I would have been perfectly satisfied had I caught this. On it, it, you know, on like a Sunday matinee kind of thing, or uh, you know, you catch it on TNT or whatever. If people still watch TNT, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> I I think you could do you could do worse, but it's not great. 
Right. Okay, and for the next episode, the streaming homework that I'm going to assign is Bong Joon-ho's thriller Mother. Mother! There you go. Tell your children not to walk my way! <laughs> um, not to be confused Mother. with the uh, the Darren Aronofsky film of the same name. I think there's a... Mother? Yeah, right. The musical. Um, <laughs> and I think there's another... There's I think there's several films called Mother, but... There's Mama. Like, you're right. Or Ma. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Uh, now I'm like totally derailed. Mo mother, mo problems. <laughs> if anybody right. has any opinions about any of the things we talked about in this episode or re- other recent episodes, you can contact us at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. Uh, we are now streamable both on Spotify and the Google Podcast app, as well as uh, Stitcher, iTunes, Pocket Cast, the Windows Podcast Network, Player.fm. Rate and review us on whatever service you use. Um, and you can read uh, my movie reviews that I do every so often for the Idaho State Journal at idahostatejournal.com, look up uh, Cassidy Robinson, or you can look up the movies or whatever. Google something and something will pop up. <laughs> you can follow us I mean, on social media yes. at Twitter and Instagram at MacGuffinPod. You can follow me individually on Instagram and Twitter at BC Cassidy. And I think that's all I have to say. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Keith Foster Kid. No longer tweeting about politics. That's probably not true. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. And, uh, you can follow my art account, uh, on Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic, um, where I do, um, just kind of nerdy fan art on, uh, sticky notes. Yes. And... I think that's going to be it for the episode. You can't crush a soul here. That's what life on Earth is for.